Hey, this is Paul, and we've got a sort of a really special live stream today. I know I usually live stream on Fridays at 10 a.m. I'm not going to live stream next week because I'm on vacation, so there's going to be a lot of other interesting content on the channel while I'm on vacation. But um, I was talking with Trip and Jim. Now, some of you might trips around the corner quite a bit, so you know who Trip is. Jim's been on before, and Trip and Jim and I did a really con interesting conversation on on uh, Jim's book, High on God. And I want to get Jim back on again to probably do a little bit more detailed walk through his book and his argument. But with um, what's going on in Asbury University down in Kentucky, uh, getting a lot of attention, uh, Jim and Tripp both said, hey, we'd really love to talk about that. Because at my estuary meeting last night, there are Many of most of the people there had no idea about anything going on with this, and most of the people there have zero understanding of what a revival is, what a student revival is, and, and just how now these things don't happen every day, but they're not that uncommon. And actually, the really foundational role that these kinds of movements have played in American history. And Jim wrote, a, I think, a really it's probably one of the best books I've read on the megachurch movement. And uh, Tripp's Trip's just all in because, uh, of course, Tripp has had his own journey through megachurch land. And so I thought, yeah, let's do this. And let's do this as a live stream. So we'll, we'll talk for a while. And then those of you who are in the comment section, yeah, you know what to do. And, um, and then we'll, we'll see where this goes. So uh, let's start now. I already did last Friday, I actually did a live stream on this, so I've already had a first whack at it. But let's hear from you two what uh, kind of thoughts emerged when this thing started welling up on social media. Yeah, Trip, do you want to go or do you want to? No, you go. I, I think, I think actually, you probably started posting about it before I did. I was. I, I may I might have a little bit more uh, skepticism or trepidation around it than than you do. So I, I was I was interested to see what uh, you were saying about it. Yeah, I a lot of this goes back, you know. I, I uh, to a certain extent, I was raised in evangelical culture, but uh, but was always suspicious of it. You know, being an academic and being an intellectual egghead, I think I think you're born into this idea that emotion is a problem. And, uh, and so, um, you know, when we talk, and, and you hear that from outsiders on the, on looking at this Asbury revival as problematic. That is, this isn't, this isn't rational behavior. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are they really doing? And why is this so important and powerful? Um, and what I think they're missing, and and this is something that I developed over really over the last seven years, because we were looking at data from megachurches, and, and megachurches, in a sense, are just smaller revival movements, in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I think what we missed, we thought that these were kind of corrupt, uh, uh, you know, sort of artificially developed movements and mainly emotional rather than rational. And what we began to realize is that 
human behavior, human reasoning is always has an emotional base to it. Um, and, and, and this is a complex argument really, but what we said was, and, and we went back to, and I'll, I'll use this phrase I got from Emil Durkheim, uh, humans are homo duplex. They, they, they often are engaged emotionally at first in whatever they're thinking or acting into. And then uh, they think themselves into it. They rationalize this behavior. Um, and why, you, you might ask, why do they do that? Um, and they do that, Durkheim explained for two reasons. One is, is uh, they both want to be engaged with other uh, people and that engages their emotional affective lives and they want to be thoughtful about it as well. Um, so it's, so human beings literally have to do this work uh, in order to become socialized, in order to become human. Um, so, you know, I think this is another way of saying this, this is just normal behavior um, and what humans do when they're acting out their interests, their desires, and thinking through this and rationalizing that behavior. Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of stop there and let you guys take over. It sounds really familiar to, um, I haven't read Durkheim, but um, it, it sounds like another way of phrasing like McGilchrist and the elephant and rider kind of thing where, you know, you, you, like this, this part of your brain kind of engages first and kind of drives the direction. But then the rider is kind of like post hoc explaining why this all works, but it's not actually the one in, you think that's the thing in control, but it's actually not. Right. And so that's that's what that reminds me of. I haven't read Durkheim, but that's that's the way yeah. I would explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Trip. No, I was going to say, like, I mean, I'm just going back to kind of my I guess the, the I agree with you. I think that like this, like emo, I, I'm naturally skeptical of this, like highly emotive way of engaging. Uh, it's not it's I. I Again, like I was, I grew up a Presbyterian, frozen, chosen, like this is not how we do things. You don't even raise your hand when you're singing. That's not a thing. And we're very skeptical of that. Very confessional and those kind of things. And I think that, so I'm, I'm naturally like uncomfortable with it and suspicious of it. At the same time, I think as you study, so like I'll, I'll give an example, like Plato wanted to ban the poets, but not because he thought the poets were necessarily doing something bad, but because he thought it was dangerous. Um, he thought it was dangerous because this is like weapons grade emotion going on. It's not that it's not effective or even that it can't be used for good. It's just that it's really dangerous when that kind of weapons grade emotion is used for the wrong thing. And I think that like, so in, in my world, you have two camps and I'm kind of in between them. There's the ones where like, this is an unmitigated good, what's going on here. And then there's another camp be like, this is an unmitigated bad. Like, I don't have any idea what these people believe. Um, or what the goal is, or what the success metrics are, or like, how are we going to tell if this works or whatever? And I'm kind of in between being like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a really, but, but I agree with you. I was talking to Sam, actually, Paul, before this, 
and it reminds me uh, in what Jim just said um, is that we were talking about this and you're like, well, in, in some senses, what, what's going on in Asbury is fairly small in the history of American revivals, right? We're talking about maybe 50,000 people roughly might have gone to this. Like there's been bigger revivals, right? Like Billy Graham was filling up Yankee Stadium. At the same time, this is a small town of a few thousand people in the middle of nowhere. There's no celebrity pastor involved in this um either and you also have the mega church which going back to what jim said is kind of like a mini weekly revival going on and that wasn't present in the 19th century right and so you would have these big celebrity pastors attracting people to these like urban centers or whatever for these larger scale revivals i don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again because we have mega churches in every city now um and and so like what's fascinating to me about this is that it's a small town there's no celebrity here there's no like i i listened to the sermon um it's not anything to be blown away by like it's like this is a this was like literally an assistant soccer coach giving the sermon that kicked it off this is not someone that you're going to even put on a, a big live stream or any like it's just not that and so that's where it's unique to me also but this is not billy graham billy graham could command a room billy graham could command a stadium this guy did it and yet something happened and i don't know what to make of it but that's why it is fascinating to me um because it, it does seem both a continuation of american revival like this is Americana and it's something also different in a lot of ways. Yeah. I suppose Trip, you know, kind of going back to your remarks about emotion, I, I would just simply say that any social action uh, has to, has to have an emotional element to it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have an effective relation to what you desire, and you do have that, regardless of how rational you are. Yeah. Um, I would dare say that Episcopalians, uh, in, in, in a similar way, maybe they don't talk about it, but in some form or another, they're deeply in love with the sanctity of, of, the, of the ritual. Mm -hmm. and, and so emotion can, can really be um, described and felt without sort of the, you know, tears or yelling or whatever you might have in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know you well enough, Tripp, that you hold your faith in, in, with great depth and you feel something very deeply when you uh, are in it. Um, now, you may not come off as an emotional Emily, but but I, I just don't I don't buy what what I what I've really become convinced by is is Randall Collins work on on uh, emotional energy that there's a there's, he basically coined this term emotional energy. That is, whatever we do, I mean, we do it because we are affectively biased toward it um, and it moves us mm -hmm. um, and it and it moves that us not just in our emotions but in our thought life 
So emotion and, and rationality are actually quite enmeshed. Um, so that's, that's just a, another way of saying, you know, I, what I, I started reading about the Asbury, um, uh, you know, revival and I, I, a lot of condescension from people. And I just thought to myself, okay, let's go into your mind and your heart. There's something pulsing there. Um, so I just don't buy it. I, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, anyway, that's another, another way of saying, uh, no, I think you're right. I, I think it's, it's, a. Uh... There's a certain strain. I mean, I think it's like a, a broadly Western thing anyway, like even outside of certain strands of like um, Christianity, where we think we're a lot more, we're like Spock, right? We're, we're just yeah. purely rational and those kind of things. And it, it's like we're divorced from the fact that we're really not that at all. Like even those of us who fancy ourselves that way, it's, it's really not that's what's going on. Some uh, like, you know, and then like Jonathan Haidt talked about this too, you like we're doing a lot of post hoc explaining of a decision that we've already made right. um, and a belief that we've already adhered to and really our rationality or our rhetoric or even how smart we are is just making us better or worse at explaining <laughs> the thing that we already are doing and so that's where like i look at it and i'm like i don't know like looking at asbury like okay what what's going on here and so to my like my you know more like reformed like calvinist friends who like are like kind of like no this is not a revival or whatever i'm like well i don't know like a bunch of a bunch of college students are taking time out of their weekends and days going to volunteer to pray to sing hymns read the scripture and they're doing that day after day after day for weeks i don't know how long it's going to last i don't know what the end effect of it is but like what do you, what do you want like what? What do you really are you um, are you asking about? Like if that's not a, I don't know if it's a revival. I don't know. I think that. I think yeah. it's a. I think it's just a mega church service that has just lasted for three weeks. That's what I think it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's like that is what I see. I, I a couple a couple of points here. Um, the. The powers that be there, they've done a number of things. Uh, they are, I think, Thursday, they, I think they decided to land the plane on this thing, partly because yeah. they were simply overwhelming the town, um, which wasn't terribly Christian to do. Literally to, uh, a two-stoplight town. That that's time. right. It's like literally um, like 5,000 people. That's so they it. landed the plane on that. Um, part of the interesting thing about this is that this is in the age of social media, and so mm -hmm. there are a lot of uh, big-name celebrity pastors or wannabe pastors and performers that wanted to get on stage and and the um the school in their wisdom said no nah, we're not going to do that and it also wouldn't let like people um over 25 in the room said no nah, this is for this is for this is for younger folks uh you old folks um you know you can you can do your thing out someplace else um it's it's interest as as interesting to me and and the people themselves haven't called it a revival um and and, you know, you can find a bunch of other different podcasts where people start to to list um, similar student movements in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s at Wheaton, at Asbury, at a lot of different places. And so I think I think part of the um, part of the excitement about this is it's deeply connected with a megachurch. 
in that if you go to a mega church, one of the things you can do at a mega church, if you have one, two, three, four, five, eight, 10,000 people in a room or together or at a crusade or something like this, is you, you actually, um, you can accomplish something that you can't just do with your little 25 or 50 necessarily. There is a different energy in the room. And, you know, there's a lot of Christians that begin to so sort of want to wade in there and think, well, I need to right now decide if this is of God. Oh, okay. Um, like the sunset is the sunset of God. That happens every day. And, you know, that draws pretty good crowds if you're uh, <laughs> if you're on the Pacific coast, if you're in a place like Santa Cruz, you get your sparking space about an hour before the, uh, the big event. So there's... To me, part of the part of the interesting question here is: All right, well, let's uh, let, let's talk about this because there are many levels at which um, these kinds of events. It, one one question would be: Why are tens of thousands of people hearing about this wanting to get there? Part of it certainly is sort of the uh, charlatanism or the you know the same reason they go on the Bachelor. Um, you know, you're not here for Zach. You're here for the wrong reason. Oh, really? I can't imagine what that would be. 50,000 new Instagram followers. Um, but you've also got this sense that we, we deeply know that we want to participate in, we, you know, if you're a Christian, especially you want to participate in God. Well, what does that mean? What do we mean by that? And, and you have a sense that, and it's, and, and quite rightly so, even if you get into the room, you're, you're sort of hoping that you'll be wooed, you'll be carried away, um, that your participation in this is going to change you and transform you. And so the people making their way there are looking for that. And what I loved about your book, Jim, is that um, a lot of people get very cynical about that, whereas... Um, why would you be cynical about this? We people go to a ball game to be transformed by the ball game in a way. Now, there's often not a lot of their, their expectations for lasting life transformation are fairly low, even if it's the Super Bowl. But this, you know, if you if you realize that you're in a dead end and you want a you want a new a new chance at life. You need mm. transportation. You want a new beginning. It's not stupid to go to this place and get in the room and give yourself to it. And, but of course, that's just the beginning. And anybody who works in this field, this is part of the reason I started talking about Jordan Peterson was anybody who works in this field knows that what happens on the floor of the event is just the beginning. And it's going to have to be followed up with, all sorts of other things that are often considerably less enthusiastic. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right, Paul. I, I, I'm not, you know, I, maybe I should be like Trip, or maybe this is kind of what I'm hearing you say, Trip. You're a little bit cynical about this. After doing the, this massive amount of work on these mega churches, I came out thinking, these are really positive, healthy organizations. Only one to two percent uh, go through some form of chaos, and you know, usually a pastor having 
you know, relationships outside his marriage, and it's mostly men, uh, or some sort of financial um, problem, stealing cash. Uh, but it only happens in one or two percent of these these organizations. So what that drove me to, and this was after five years of research, is these are relatively positive, uplifting, emotionally uh, powerful moments for human beings to, in a sense, receive therapy that is to go through the process of transformation. And what is that? To repent of one's sin. Now you can say to, to change your life so that you're moving in a more positive, fruitful way. Um, and that's kind of what we saw over and over again. And what I came to think is any kind of transformation uh, has to be lit by some effective emotion and um, and then followed through on. And, and so these mega churches were incredibly successful in in drawing people into community, into service and into kind of a full life in Christ, you know, to speak in 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 their terms. Um, so I really came out of the the study much less cynical. And as Tripp knows, I'm a fairly cynical guy. Um, uh, but I was. Um, it's why we get along, Jim. Yeah, right. Trip. Um, I was pretty cynical. So um, it really changed. I, I, I literally, my cognitive research on this strange events changed me. Um, and I'm glad it did because I, I don't think it was fruitful. I don't think I don't think necessarily thinking that human beings are rotten at the core is a, is a great way to go. Um, so um, and also the 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 organizations and the uh, leaders that are talked about are the people who are making mistakes. Um, and doing something terrible. And that's what we hear about most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but that's a very small group. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my two cents. I don't know if I'm convincing you guys, but... Um... I, you don't have to convince me. I, you know, part of what I, part of what I see in this space is that, and part of why I really liked your book, is that there's, there's a tremendous amount of bad press. And, you know, and we, in our first conversation, we talked about Mark Driscoll um, and for, for all of the flaws and the collapse of Mark Driscoll's church, uh, I, I can very easily bring up um, examples that are way worse than Driscoll and did way more damage than Driscoll. Yeah. And it, it's very easy to get cynical about these churches, but um, when compared to other types of we can use a therapeutic frame. We can use lots of different frames. But generally speaking, for many people, if they enter into this, they will, they'll have better marriages. Their finances will be better. They'll treat their neighbors better. They'll be better parents. And when you look at those kinds of outcomes and the need for those kinds of outcomes on a broad scale in society, churches, generally speaking, are 
you know, a tremendous social asset. Even mega churches that people complain about the parking, they might complain about the pastor's salary, they might complain about all of these things. But these are a tremendous social asset that if, in fact, they were not present, um, there would be a significant societal cost that all of us would share. And I've seen this in the black community. I see it in the Hispanic community. I've seen it in white communities. And so then when you have something like this, even though, yeah, you have it on social media and there's going to be all kinds of people moving for this thing, if, in fact, those who now... Um, are those who now are blessed with all of this attention, if they steward it well, um, there are a lot of people who can, especially starting as a young person, which is very difficult in our world right now, yes. can maybe get a step up into a, a better life that no matter how secular people are out there would look at that and say, yeah, that was for yeah. the better. Well, you know, there, Paul, there's a new book uh, by Lisa Miller uh, called The Awakened Mind. Um, and it's kind of a it's a book that I've really enjoyed. Uh, she's a New York uh, researcher on on the brain. And she's most interested in spirituality and and watching the brain on spirituality and religion. And, and so she's, you know, done all this work and, and it, it clearly, it's just overwhelming evidence to show that it does good for the brain, liter quite literally. Um, and so it's kind of, I think it's kind of a fantastic reminder that religion is, is uh, it, it, it binds you back uh, to something that is deep in the human, uh, in the in the in 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 the human genes, and that is you want self transcendence, uh, and that is it. And when you achieve self transcendence in some form or another, and it doesn't have to just be religion, you can get this in other places. You find bliss at a deep level, and uh, humans to some extent are addicted to that stuff and they take drugs to get it sometimes. Um, but if it's, if you can get it on a natural high, go for it. That's what I honestly trip. That's what I think was happening at Asbury. Uh, that this is basically um, a place where people were, you know, getting high. Getting high on God—that's the name of the book, of course. Yeah. Um, and experiencing self-transcendence, because that's what you heard in in many of the uh, 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 interviews with them, is this was something. It felt I just you know they didn't use the word, but they felt something had transcended their present moment, uh, yeah. and that's a powerful thing. Trip. Let's hear. Let's hear more. More of your. Um, you know. So let's hear more of your kind of the qualms that when you see something like this, what do you feel? Because I think on one hand, it's easy to, from a secular point of view, to say this is a positive thing. This is oh, quite likely for most people. You're. They're going to be bad stories. There always are. 
quite likely for most people, this is going to be a positive thing for a lot of these young people. I think when Christians approach it, I, I see it as much more of a, a fine-tuning question because mm-hmm. Christian, Christians are bringing all of their filters to it. And so you've got your, you've got your posture. Is this too charismatic? Is this uh, too much Wesleyan holiness? Is this too much on social media or TV? Are people too um, mercenary or this will, will this attract the charlatans? Will certain people emerge from this and have great power and use that power for abuse? And so when I listen to Christians sort of have qualms about it, I, I tend to see that in the Christian realm, this is much more a question of fine tuning. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about your thoughts, Trip. Yeah. So I, I, going back to a couple of things uh, before I, I go into what I think would be my qualms. Um, I, I don't think, Jim, I don't think you should be more cynical uh, than you are uh, about this. I think that like I'm, I'm I'm actually trying to like tamp down my own cynicism about it because I think that uh, that's naturally how I look at it. But I don't think I should. Um, I think that like what you said about this is like therapy. I think that's right. And it's the kind of therapy that you can't get one-on-one with a therapist in like an office that you're paying for. Like this is a community that you're being invited to participate in that you cannot buy with a psychology degree or anything else like that. That's not what you're getting. And so it's, it's a type of therapy that you have to get in these kind of situations. And I think it's really important that us, so like when we add the just to it where we say well this is just an emotional high or this is just the beginning or something i think we downplay something really important it's not just the beginning it could be the beginning it's not just an emotional high it's something really good um and so i think that we add that just to kind of downplay it but you're like i I think that we shouldn't i actually think that that just minimizes it and i do it all the time is i even i was again i was talking to sam and luke earlier today and i said like is this just like a church camp high? And then I caught myself and I'm like, just a church camp high is like, if, if I sent my kids to a church camp and they came back really, really excited about their faith, would I say, well, that's just a church camp high where I would say, praise God, they came back like really excited about their faith. It wouldn't be just, I wouldn't add that for them. So why should we do it from a distance whenever we see something like that happening? Yeah. So that's that's kind of like where I think I'm airing. Um, on the other side, I think that there is like a, a concern, you know, like there's a one video of someone like casting out a demon um, and, and, you know, it, like someone's being like taken out or something like that. And someone like yells out to cast out a demon at, in the chapel and that made the rounds on social media. And so then then there becomes a question is like, okay, was that really a demon? Are we misrepresenting Christianity? Are we are we being a good witness to the culture? Um, and then then there's the, all those concerns about the charlatans. So we can talk about like the prosperity gospel kind of thing, too, in some sense that like, yes, believing that God answers our prayers is a good thing. And also like this idea of the Joel Osteen, if you just believe enough, God will make you rich. Abuse of that is, is like you could apply that to the charismatic movement as well. That, oh, if you just believed enough, then you would talk in tongues. And if you just believed enough, then you would prophesy. And if you just believed enough, we would cast out demons and those kind of things. And so that's where it becomes like, are we misrepresenting and giving giving the stage to grifters? And this is where going back to Paul, what you were saying earlier, the fact that they didn't have the celebrity pastors. And I don't know the names of any of these people. 
Um, and I had I literally have to look them up to even find them. It like it, it does like calm me down a little bit regarding that. But th- I think that's in the conservative circles. That's where okay, um, it's the just question: Is this just a flash in the pan? Is this really going to make any difference in any of these people's lives? Is this really going to, you know, transform them and and, and be something that that lasts throughout? Um, so there's that just question that I think is 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 telling actually of the question asker, not the, the people participating in it. But then there's that, then there's the other side of it is, are, are we being faithful representatives to the culture that's looking at this with some amount of curiosity, right? That it's making, you know, like I think Tucker Carlson had a segment on it. And so you have a lot of people looking at this from the outside and being like, what is going on there? And I think the concern is, are we faithfully representing the Christian church with what's being portrayed here? And I'm, you know, from a distance, I'm like, I don't see a problem with it. I like, honestly, like I, I, I would naturally be, you know, drawn. I do have some, like, whenever I see someone like casting out demons, I got questions. Um, at the same time, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, even even if that wasn't legitimate, I think largely what I'm seeing, I like, and um, I'm, I'm I don't have a problem with. And so I think that's I think that's where the tension is, though, is that you have some of these people. I mean, we've all again, Asbury's been done a good job. They don't just hand the mic to anyone. Um, like, if if someone wants to give a word, they, the the organizer talking about, it, like, you okay? Well, you talk to some talk to a pastor first about what you want to say and what you feel like the spirit is leading you to. They're not just handing the mic around and having someone walk around the stage and those kind of things. I think we've all been to those places where it's open mic night and that attracts the wrong kind of like that, that attracts people who have things to say that you probably wouldn't want to say on behalf of the church. And I think that's where this is very uncomfortable for a lot of, of, you know, protestants especially on the uh, the reformed stripe um like the confessional because we're like who are you putting up there are we teaching here or are we not are, are are these confessional christians are they not like are, is this someone that we actually want to put on tv to represent the church or are they not and i think that's where it's it's like that like it, you know kind of paul which what you tweeted the other day about the bounded set versus centered set right like these are people who like their boundaries they like their fences they don't like the people that don't have the seminary degree getting up on stage and having the mic and talking about things they want it controlled um and directed um in a way that's comfortable and has precedent um versus what asbury is doing which is something in between it's not bounded exactly it's not centered exactly it's somewhere in between um, which is probably the healthy way of doing something like this. But I think that's where the tension is. It's yeah. like you have all these like like bounded people coming in and be like, you should have drawn it. There needs to be a fence here and a fence here and a fence here. Um, and they're not comfortable with the, the fact that they don't know where the fences are. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I think it's a good point, Tripp. Um, I'm less worried than you are about it, but... Uh, I suppose there's a way. Well, I suppose there's a way in which I've I, I distrust those who uh, who are on the on the on the sidelines, sort of being cynical about it. Um, because how do you come to faith? Uh, 
really, I think for most people, it is a, an emotional reaction to the state of their soul in some form or another. Um, and so that's going to, you know, you're going to have to be struck with uh, an answer to that emotion. Um, and also, and I think, I, I don't think we should downplay this, is this generation we know is there's massive uh, depression, uh, ma massive identity crises going on, you know, as, as far as what we can hear in, in, uh, in surveys of the generation. And what that means is there's a great deal of cynicism about life in general um, and, and not, not very much hope. And so um, I kind of think of the church, you know, particularly in this, in this situation, but also in, in general as a place where hope can be fed and uh, that, you know, it, it's, let's be honest, it's, it's the good news. Uh, come and follow Christ, become a humble witness to the faith. Do that which is good and true and beautiful to yourself, to others, to your family, to your culture, to the world. Um, and, you know, of course, there's bad teachers and, um, and charlatans out there uh, that need to be exposed. But in, in my own mind, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the kids I see in our, in my college and in the university, there's just a lot of cynicism and hopelessness that's really depressing, to be honest, uh, because there's not much kind of like, oh, I can change the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's, I, I would argue that that's more problematic than mm. a few charlatans on, on, in religion, uh, who will be exposed, um, you know, in the end. Uh, but you know, there. Are, I, I, I want to take that seriously. I'm just saying. I wonder. No, if I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. No. Like I think that. Like I think that you know, to some extent, I've been infected by like some of the cynicism of the culture as well. And so, like, there's some things that I'm skeptical about that maybe I shouldn't be, um, uh, for the same reason that your students are. Um, and I, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but I, I think that like a lot of our, our academics and our education and our training like reflects that where we're actually teaching people to be cynics. Yeah. Um, we're actually training them to do that. Um, we're not, you know, as opposed to like training them, like this is what's true, good and beautiful. And you can express that through all these disciplines, these transcendental aspects, and you can make the world actually more true more good more beautiful by your participation in it we're doing the opposite we're making them cynical about the world and we're sending them out to just tear things down and that's not what's going on in asbury for whatever it is it's not that and that's better than whatever we're doing now and so i don't think that i should be as as concerned maybe as I, my gut reaction is about it because honestly i've seen some things and i kind of like you know squint at but mostly I see a bunch of kids like really excited about their faith and the future and their community and doing good things. And there's, that's exactly what we should want. Right. Like, why are we, there's, that's, there's no just that needs to, it's not just that it's like, it's that that's good. 
Um, and we shouldn't be cynical about it. Um, and we shouldn't downplay it. We shouldn't discourage it. We should like, we should lift it up and put it on a pedestal and be like, Hey, you could be this way, or you could be like these, this other way, the cynical way that has no future, has no path to, to making anything better for anyone, including yourself. Um, and so like, I, 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 I feel like I, I you know, I, to some extent, I have kind of imbibed that cultural cynicism about a lot of these things. And I don't think I should. I think that I'm, you know, I'm when watching it, I, I'm constantly asking myself, I'm both really, really happy about it, but then also like skeptical at the same time. And I'm asking myself, why am I so skeptical? Yeah. Um, and like, why is it that I have that reaction? Because nothing I've seen has been particularly troubling. No. Um, it's it's more like a gut reaction than I have. Yeah. Hmm. I'm helping a guy here get some food. <laughs> so I'll be okay. out in a minute no, and no, I'll no. be back. But okay. but you know, but no, I think that's I think that's I think that's well said. Um, you know, and part of the part of the emotional piece is I would be more worried if there wasn't emotion. Can you imagine going to an AA meeting where someone is kind of having a breakthrough and they're working on their sobriety and they're just sitting there like this? I would right. be worried about that. And and the same way with a marriage. Okay, so you're you're stepping up and you're going to be married and this is you're entering you're entering into one of the most substantive transformative relationships in your life and you're you're just walking up like you're going to the ATM to get 20 bucks for a movie. I mean, mm -hmm. the emotional part is exactly what you want and need if you're going to have the whole person transformation. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are I think that there are obviously I have plenty of questions to ask, but um for the most part this is a this is a well um this is a well-known cultural liturgy in America that has proven for um, many, many people to be an extremely positive entree into a better life. And, and just, I don't know if, what you guys said while I was gone, but one of the key things that happened here, which, which is very consistent through many of these revivals, including especially the, um, you know, the, the, the Korean revival that transformed Korea um, is it began with confession that someone said, and which again, similar to AA, you know, it's, it's your first step, you know, my life is yeah, unworkable and, and I need to turn it over to a higher power. And so, yeah. And what I loved about this was the, you know, yeah, this is, this is just like any, any chapel service that you can find in any, Christian college all over the place and it's nothing. And I think this is part of what I think gives people who see it on social media hope that if, if God can use that guy and these people in this place and do a work that really improves and transforms one way or another, this group of people well, maybe that can happen with me. And again, I, I don't, I know it's, it's really easy to get cynical about people rushing there and wanting to be a part of it, but I don't, you know, of, of course. But, you that's want thing. It. Like, is it, well, but that's the thing. Like, okay, we're cynical about that, but would we want them shunning it? Exactly. 
We want them ignoring it. Yeah. Like, no, we were like, uh, what do we want? Like, sometimes like we, like we as Christians sometimes don't take yes for an answer. Um, <laughs> like, and, and that's what like, you're like, well, is it better for people to rush to where they think that the spirit is moving to get this experience with other Christians that are worshiping and confessing their sins and those kind of things? Like I was, I was astonished. I was listening to a podcast about this today and, and like there was this, um, and I like the guys, I won't name them, but like they were talking about like, is this good? Is it bad? Whatever. And one of the guys was like, well, one of the problems that I had with um, the, you know, the sermon that led up to it was it was all law and no gospel. And this was like a Calvinist reform Presbyterian. And I'm like, wait, you are complaining about all law and no gospel in the sermon that led to people going up and repenting. That's your complaint. That's bizarre to me. I was like, what? that's that's like, you guys are the hellfire and brimstone crowd. Like, what are you talking about right now? Why are you like eager? And that's what I see it as is an eagerness to be cynical about it. And I don't, I don't understand it. I was, I was just baffled when I was like, you're wait. <laughs> all law and no gospel what what did jonah do when he went to nineveh <laughs> right he, you know like i i was like i honestly don't understand like we're what would we have people do i would have people rush to church if they saw something <laughs> opening right like why not yeah well you know that's kind of where i am but uh i i suppose i mean and i think you know this already but it's really through my academic study that I've come around and become much more um, positive about the this, you know, I suppose you'd call it, for me, all religion and really all of life has a emotional energy to it. Um, and if you don't have that emotional energy, you're not gonna go anywhere. Uh, you know, and, uh, and that emotional energy gives you hope. Mm -hmm. And the hope is I'll get better. I'll become better at my relationships. I'll become better with myself, with my, my, my culture, my town, my family, my kids. Um, and you know, what else is there, but that hope that you can become somebody that is a source of good uh, to those around them. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So the cynicism, yeah. I understand that, uh, but I, I just don't think that's a, that's a pathway towards, um, it, it, you know, I, I just don't know where it goes. It just, it kind of turns in on itself. That's kind of what I right. think. The thing is that, you know, there's a, there's a gravity to cynicism and then there's a gravity to hope Yeah. also. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think that these kind of, these kind of like the mega churches or these kind of like little, like um, mini revivals, whatever we want to call them, mm -hmm. they have their own gravity. Right. In the same way that like you go to university, you might become a cynic because there's a yes. gravity to that. Like and so like you're kind of pulled in and it's easy to be more cynical when you're around more cynical people. 
Right. Um, and it's easy to be more hopeful when you're around more hopeful people, even if nothing has changed, like objectively, like in the world or in your circumstances or whatever. But if you're around more hopeful people, yeah. it's easier to be hopeful. It's easier to be loving when you're around loving people. It's, it's easier to be a cynic or hateful when you're around cynics and hateful people. Yeah. And so that's where, like, I think that I mean, you know, it kind sometimes of, kind of yeah, goes go trip to, uh, you know, what's the fruit of the spirit. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's no fruit that, that, you know, basically that's another way of saying you're a cynic who's without hope and, uh, you know, what, what good are you? Right. Uh, yeah. so gosh, I, I sound like Mr. Hopeful, don't I? No, no, it's great. Well, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that, you know, we were talking about fruit and hope and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and this is being like these kind of like little revivals being very much a part of like Americana, which is true. But like, where, like, where is Christianity growing? It's in the Southern Hemisphere. And who's doing it? The charismatics are doing it. That's who's doing it. That's who's like taking over Africa and South America. Like how many people converted from Catholicism to uh, to like being Pentecostal in Brazil in the last like couple of years? It's a huge number. How many people are converting in Africa? So you're like, you know, in some sense, yes, this is very American. It's true. But I think it's bigger than that. I think this is like a human condition. This is something that everyone um wants and desires and it has a gravity to it and we're like we've structured our institutions and our culture in such a way that we're we're almost like we've got antibodies built up to even accept it whenever it does enter the bloodstream but um i i don't think that you i don't think it can keep up because eventually like we all do desire this we all do desire this community these feelings these emotions we all want it we all know it when we see it. There's a reason that I was at Mars Hill for as long as I was. And it was like, it was a mini revival every Sunday. They knew what yeah. they were doing. They knew how to generate that. And there was nothing wrong with them generating it. Does, is that, can you abuse that? Sure. You can abuse anything though. And yeah. that's where I feel like we're being too judgmental about, well, yes, like Plato said, this is weapons, great emotion. That's true. And you can abuse weapon grade emotion, but you can also use it productively too. Yeah. And that's where I think that like I and a lot of people need to like, when they're looking at this with some skepticism, maybe we need to take a look in the mirror. Like, why are we so against using this in the right way? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just reading some of the comments on the, you know, on the side, you know, what are the fruit? Does it have a heart hearth? I think a lot of these things, they're they're in our minds. They come up for us, and I think that's absolutely fine because those are the questions to ask. Because there's a we have seen there there certainly are abuses. We know the stories, and we certainly want the cautionary tales. But um, let's uh, let's celebrate the let's celebrate the um, the movement and the the produce and celebrate it celebrate it while it, while it's here. And um, see, see, see what God does with it. So, yeah. Um, okay. Any, I, I, I missed a bunch of your stuff. <laughs> a little trip to the microwave. Um, you know, my my friend gets his food out of the dumpster, and uh, so we'll uh, 
uh, a little microwave action and he's he, he'll be fed so he'll be good for a little bit so um uh, you guys have any more on this or you want to open this up for questions from the um from the chat or what do you guys yeah, want no, to do? let's open it up all right so okay y'all in the chat um what do you what do you what do you have to say and um we're we're listening i know that the all the usual sus, um suspects have been um you can't use a move of god it's idolatry is basically trying to use a move of god that's pretty much the definition of it um pvk was off actually carrying fire <laughs> um yeah you know this this concern um joey sometimes calls it you know it's sometimes concern trolling or something, but you're not really trolling. I just don't want to see people get burned, and I'm hopeful as usual. I don't know what what to think yet. Chad is asking questions. I won't. People will get burned. Um, I mean, you you will not have a movement like this without there being errors, without there being missteps, without someone trying to take advantage of it. You will not start a church without heartbreak and disappointment. You will not enter a marriage without fights and mm -hmm. calamities. All of these things come. They just do. They are part of the human condition. But that doesn't mean to not marry and to not give yourself and to not, you know, surrender your life. I mean, it's just, it, it's it's part of the package. All right, Vendank, the Vendank is here. Who is are the they who should harness this spontaneous movement? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's to be harnessed, I guess, is the thing. I think we can go back to Acts um, and, and talk about, like, okay, this movement is from God. You're not going to be able to stop it anyway. Um, and if it's not, it will fail. So, like, I don't think it's something to be harnessed. Um, I don't think that's the point. At the same time, I think, you know, there, there is a – there is, you know, for, for people who are teachers or elders in their church, there is something – to be done in terms of like discernment and you know from what i've seen from asbury they've done a you know a, a pretty good job and then the local congregations who are watching this from afar they have their job to do too and so i don't think it's to be harnessed by anyone and in fact i would be very i i'm more skeptical if i saw like a sub celebrity pastor trying to harness it and make it that but that's not what's going on so i don't think it's to be harnessed i think that like if this is from god it can't be harnessed anyway so don't try Fruit, fruit is gathered, not harnessed. Yeah. Um, Phlebas asks, I want to hear parallels with things like Fatima. Catholics have ways to verify. Okay, what, what about this? Because this is another common um, yeah. thing that people bring to something like this. You, you, in other words, uh, sort of testing and actually looking at the phenomena itself very carefully within the Catholic church. I think that makes all sorts of sense is that the church in a certain sense has to uh, police itself and, um, and, and, and check the spirit, right? Uh, because any kind of charisma like this can be used for good and bad. Uh, so, 
you know, I think that's that's the part of the checking the spirit and, and testing the spirits. Um, yeah, I think very powerful. And, and from what I understand, Asbury wasn't just again, they weren't just handing the mic to anyone. Like right. if someone wanted to speak, like they had to like speak to someone who was at the church, someone that like there was some kind of vetting process. I don't know what it was like or whatever, but it wasn't just like anyone get up here and teach whatever they want or do whatever they want and that kind of thing. And some people were asked to leave who were doing things that they thought weren't in the spirit of the movement. So there was some amount of vetting. Like we can all like, I, I challenge anyone to run a revival or a movement and come up with like a foolproof system for like, Oh, here's how you do it. Um, but like, I don't think Asbury had their, their hands off the wheel. I just think that we don't, again, they weren't trying to make it about them and here's right. our rules and that kind of stuff. It was very much like kind of in the moment making decisions from the leaders of the, of the church and the, and the school, which I don't, I don't have a problem with. I don't, I don't see any, I don't see any reason to be skeptical about their decision-making. So I don't think, that they, I don't think they were just like, you know, letting anyone do anything. So trip, let me ask you a question. Um, how you you you're you're more you're in a tradition now in a church that in is in a sense fairly disciplined, um, and and probably there's less spontaneity. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder, um, is there room for right? the actions of the spirit. Um, and I kind of say that because as we've talked about here is that we can be too open to spontaneity, but, but can we also be closed to it? Yeah. Um, and I'm not accusing you of something. No, I'm, no, no. It's a good question. Like, yeah. Could something like that happen at St. Philip's church in Charles in South Carolina? No. No, like you would not, you will, you could have like movements of the spirit and I've been to very moving services and sermons and those kind of things and, and that kind of stuff. Could you have this kind of like spontaneous people talking and not leaving the church and all this kind of stuff the, the way that you had Asbury? No, you, you couldn't have that because the only people that are allowed to speak from the pulpit are the priests uh, in the, that are ordained and those kind of things. So like, or at least without like, prior permission it's just not set up that way but it's also not a college um and this isn't like a student chapel kind of thing that they were trying to do so i don't know that i don't even know if that's a good idea but yeah no like the, the anglican church is famously like not open to this kind of like you have to be ordained and, and that kind of stuff and even to be ordained you have to have certain credentials and, and that kind of stuff so you're not gonna you're not gonna have that um in the anglican tradition for sure um, you probably couldn't even some other, you know, like a Presbyterian church, you could have it if you had the right elders and pastor that was open to it. But in the Anglican tradition, you're not going to have people up there at the altar, like talking in tongues and, and whatever. It's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, like I, that just would maybe actually I shouldn't say that in America, that would not happen in Uganda. I don't know. Yeah. That might happen in Uganda. The Anglican church that the Nigerian Anglican church that works here. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, maybe the African traditions yeah. would actually allow that, but not not mine. Yeah, it's it's helpful to mention Jonathan Edwards with this because mm. both in terms of the American context and if you read Jonathan Edwards, Edwards wrestled a lot with these kinds of things. They have all these manifestations. The Haitian pastors that I worked with in the Dominican Republic, they wrestled with a lot of these things. Came to different 
conclusions. For example, the in the area of the country where we did baptisms, often when you would baptize someone, the and, and the Haitians had a lot of ideas about the spirit and the water. And so someone would go into baptism and then they'd start to thrash around and the pastor would take them and dunk them again. And basically the baptism was this exorcism service where you would just, you would drown the devil out of your Christians. <laughs> and, and so they were doing that in, in the place that I was, but we had different missionaries in different parts of the country. One of the missionaries was like, I don't tolerate that. You know, I tell them to cut it out because that's not necessary. Uh, the president of the national church came out once and he watched this for a baptism. He's like, well, this doesn't happen in our zone. So, um, and I, yeah. you know, I'm high in openness. I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't see how anybody's getting hurt with them. Uh, you know, well, and Jonathan Edwards even wrote about like, what are like the, like, what are the qualifications for what a revival is? And as far as I can tell, Asbury is meeting all of them um, in terms of like people praising God, doing good works, um, you know, uh, repenting of their sins and all that kind of stuff. And it's also interesting about Jonathan Edwards because he was famously like we all read sinners in the hand of the angry God and those kind of sermons. And we imagine this like angry Mark Driscoll type, like, you know, yelling at the people in the in that kind of thing. And by all accounts, he was just deadpan, monotone just reading this sermon and people were moved by it and it created this thing. And I swear everyone watched the sermon that kicks this off. It is not yeah. anything to write home about. It is not something that you would be like, Oh, this is going to start a revival. And so I was like, it, it's funny because that is like Jonathan Edwards is the one that we like most associate with these revivals. And he's the one that like gave us the qualifications for what he saw as a legitimate revival and he's also very similar in style to the assistant soccer coach who actually gave the sermon that kicked it off. Like in terms of delivery, I was like, that's not something that I would think would kick off 50,000 people show up at Asbury College in the middle of the South. That's it's not what I can find in any black church in my neighborhood on any no. given Sunday. No. So, so no, I want to, I want to get, I, yeah. go ahead, Jim. No, I was just going to say trip that, uh, you know, maybe the lack of charisma is a sign of the goodness of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, I want to I want to get into Anselman's question because I think it's 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 pretty important. Why was God not really spoken of in this discussion? Um, it was all treated as mere human communal phenomena. Revival is a personal encounter with God. I got my own answer, but I'm gonna wait for you guys a little bit. Oh, you know, I would say. Um, you know, first, we don't know, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's uh, be real here. Uh, even those who I, I think I've had experiences of the presence of God, and, and it feels pretty real to me. No, none of us can prove that. Um, so I take, I take it very seriously when t somebody talks about uh, the presence of God, or the, or the, the fact that they feel that God is spoken to them because, you know, I've experienced that myself. Um, I think as, as people who are, you know, have a duty to try to examine uh, these phenomena, um, you know, I think we both have to take, take it as a humanly constructed phenomena, but be open to the possibility that this could be the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's both and. Um, you know, I, and, and we, 
I'm a radical empiricist, and that means I take the possibility of God being working in a moment as real and potentially real. Um, so I don't think it's just human phenomena. Well, yeah. And to, to build on that, what do we mean by a personal encounter with God? Exactly. Um, are like, do only theophanies count? Right. Do, do I, do I have to see a burning bush to have a personal encounter with God or does God also encounter me through other people? Um, and through a sunset, through like this community, through the church, through the sacraments, through baptism. Like, I, I feel like sometimes I, when I talk to people, they're like, well, God, I, I need to hear a voice from God. They're like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by a voice from God? Because I talk to a lot of people who hear voices. Sometimes yeah. they say it's God. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And sometimes God is actually speaking to me through another person. And in fact, some people did it and we call it the Bible. So I don't like I, I'm I'm I don't think it's an either or and we can draw a line like me being with other people worshiping and truly praising God is me encountering God. Um, that's not separate from it. That's not it's not just a sociolog. Again, we're at I'm even adding that just a sociological thing as if it diminishes what's going on. That is how God often speaks to us is through these these communities, these experiences. And it's not just sociological. It's not just material. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a flash in the pan or a high at a church camp. It's not just any of those things. It might be those things and it might be more. Yeah. And so I don't like that, that like, well, you guys didn't mention that you heard from God or something like that. I get the question, but like, no, I'm not, I'm not separating them. I think that there's the same, like that it, it is actually with, other people that I've experienced the presence of God most profoundly. I, I And I think with, with most of these things, I mean, Jesus says, by your fruit, you will know them. Mm -hmm. uh, fruit takes time to ripen. So, and then you, you work with this pastorally all the time. Someone comes up to you with a new thing, might be a new marriage. It might be a new insight from the Bible. It might be a new this, a new that, and they're all excited about it and they're moved and, as a pastor, initially you judge the you judge the early fruit you see and you welcome it, or maybe you caution, or maybe you do a little trimming or something. But you 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 work it relationally, and over time you assess what's what's been the blessing of this, what's been the downside, and I think all of that is built up into us as a body, and that's exactly why when something like this happens, you I don't know if you remember in the movie The Matrix when Neo's in with the architect. And you have all these screens on the wall with all these neos talking. That's kind of like us in our consciousness congress, but it's also like us in the church. And something like this comes up, and people are like, ooh, and others are like, uh oh. And you know, we're running through the gamut of these things as the body of Christ on all these little screens. And that's okay. This is exactly what we should be doing. So we can so we can evaluate and test the spirits and try to figure out, okay. How do we approach this? How do we want to interact with this? Um, so, well, yeah. and the other thing I would add, and I, I would add to that is, you know, for anyone who would listen, are there going to be people that walk away from their experience at Asbury who are more encouraged in their faith? I think the answer is clearly yes to that. 
right? Whether or not it, it like has some broader movement that's easily measurable in our studies, or we're going to speak about in a hundred years as like the next, the, the second great or third great awakening or whatever it is. Okay. Are there some people that walked away more encouraged in their faith from experiencing this? I think the answer is clearly yes. Yeah. Are you willing to rob God of the glory of that? I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. So we have to say then, then like God was present in some way for some people during this like thing, what the ultimate fruits of the movement, if there even is a movement, I think is a separate question. Um, I think that like, we, we don't have to say why was God, if people were walked away, God was present. That's what we're saying. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, I'm in. Now, now, Chad's question might be just having a little bit of fun in the comment section, which is what comment sections are. But I don't think it's a bad question mm. because, um, and this, I think this very much gets at Anselman's question. Okay, UFO. Um, so we're having a UFO revival right now in the country. There's all kinds of films up there, and there are people. And and I think for I think for something like this, um, it's a great example of okay. Well, let's look at the fruit of USO, UFO revivals. Let's look at <laughs> let's look at what this does in people's lives. Are they spending all of their time looking at grainy photographs? What kind of ways are this moving their heart? How is this impacting their relationship with their wife and their children and their neighbor, their parents and their child? How is this impacting where they spend their money? How is this impacting? how they use drugs and alcohol. How is this impacting? I mean, you can look at almost any enthusiasm within a culture and run a matrix. And again, um, you know, I hate to, I get excited about books sometimes and I, uh, you know, publishers love me for it. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, that's what I, I really appreciated about your book, Jim, because it could have been, I, you know, when, when Trip said oh my wife's uncle wrote a book and it's on the mega church i was pretty much set to see you know a lot of cynicism a lot of criticism a lot of that and i opened your book and i thought this guy did his homework (laughs) because i've been around lots of different churches for a long time and i see i see lots of different things in lots of different churches in the u.s and other places in the world and it's usually there's good and bad, but I think if you if you look at the kind of of metrics in terms of fruit, you can say okay, UFO revivalism is that real is that real big on my list? And uh, you might say what you want about a lot of these mega churches. There's a and and I've been humbled by people in the past. I remember one day making a, a I think it was just in a sermon. This is long before YouTube. I made a really um, slippery comment about Jim and Tammy Baker. Someone comes up to me and says, my parents became Christians because of Jim and Tammy Baker. Mm. And it's like, you know, why don't you shut your mouth, Vander Clay, um, and not be quite as trollish and flippant as, as I tend to be. Yeah, no, that's a, that's really a, a good reminder. Um, and I was really like that when I came into this business. So um, I've come a, I've come away really uh, sort of disciplined in 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 realizing that you know 
I, I love my university, but I, I don't think we're going to start start any uh, revivals in goodness towards the world. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just I and it but again I should, probably shouldn't even say that because you know most generalizations are are found to be wrong anyway. So. Um, I would just say to people, be radically empirical about all of these claims. And radically empirical means testing the, 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 you know, the kind of the epistemology of the claim, but also the fruits of the claim. Um, and uh, so it, 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 is it rational? But also, what is the fruit? What is the true fruit of it? Is, is it, uh, is it a pr producing something that's tangibly good for a culture, a society, a, a family, a marriage, whatever. Um, and then follow it, um, you know, if it's good. I mean, that's basically what Jesus said. Test the, you know, do you got to test the fruit? Yeah, right. um, so that's what I, I, I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. And it, and, well, and getting to the UFO thing, like, yeah, that that's part of the, that's part of the, uh, that's part of the danger, right? Is, is that, uh, you know, and you know, this like weapons grade emotion is that it can, it's contagious. It can, you know, direct you to focus on bad things as well as good. Um, and it can be abused and it can be distractions and it can be all those things, but then like, okay, well then let's just look at the fruit of it. Like what is actually being produced because you're right. Yeah. You like, there's there's ufo cultists out there who are obsessed with this and flat right. earth cultists who are obsessed with that and whatever right. sure okay that doesn't mean enthusiasm is bad that doesn't mean that a, having a community who was all like congregated around this one idea that, that doesn't mean it it's bad it's what comes out of that that will determine whether or not the thing that you're being centered around is good or bad it's not the fact that people are enthusiastic about it. And I think that what we've done is we've, instead of like focusing on the fruit, we just focus on the enthusiasm. If it looks too enthusiastic, shut it down. There's abuse there or whatever. And I, and I was like, well, not necessarily. It could be actually really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. All right. Have we, uh, have we, have we said what we want to say? Is there something that we wanted to get to that we haven't said yet? I think we're good. I think we're good. I think that, like, yeah, having a follow-up conversation like Jim, where you can kind of go into a little bit, you know, more detail on on your book, High on God, would I think would be really would be really helpful. I'm curious about how to apply, amongst other things, like what you found to what's going on more globally as well, um, and not just within like the the mega churches within the country, but like what do we see going on in like the southern hemisphere and those kind of places? And mm -hmm. you know, what does that tell us about our our faith and you know the way that we should think about these things? So like that's another conversation that I think would be really interesting. Yes. Um, um, and you know, obviously you've you've done so much research on that. I, I would just love to hear you kind of expound more on maybe even things that didn't even make it in the book that you think are interesting. Yeah, sure, that'd be great. All right. I'm always uh, open to you guys. Well, I'm, I'm just going to check uh, Phlebas's last thing. If we erect an Asbury shrine, is that bad fruit? Actually, there's already a shrine there, and that's really the college. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we part part of what the Orthodox have been pointing out is that, yeah, you Protestants, 
you kind of have your own icons and holy places and saints and um and yeah yeah the orthodox have a point <laughs> right like oh well you know uh or, or you know we uh, protestants are weird about that because you're like don't pray to we don't pray to the saints right but we believe that the we we believe and hope that the saints are praying for us because that's in the bible and you're like and the orthodox are like isn't that kind of a prayer <laughs> That hope or that like the saints are praying on my behalf, is that not kind of like a unspoken prayer that you have? And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. My, my kid wants to. He's there he is. All right. <laughs> my youngest. Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like the, he's like the guy behind the news reporter on the screen. Yeah, I know. He was. <laughs> I love that dude. <laughs> well, thank you both for being willing to do this. And, and this was, this was fun. And I hope that it, um, I hope that it helps. Um, I hope that it helps people make, make sense of this whole thing. Yeah. And, um, Jim, you writing any books or what, what, what are you working on now? Uh, just, you know, the, I, I teach a course on a life worth living. And, uh, you know, it's kind of gotten big over the years. Uh, and it's just fun. It's basically, you know, what, what, what creates a good life. Um, and I use, you know, spiritual, uh, philosophical, psychological principles to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, very, so. very, very much a lot of what's, what's going on. I mean, Verveke and Peterson and I mean, that's, there's a lot of that going on right now. So, yeah, well, I, 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 you know, especially for the younger generation, uh, there's a lot of trouble, a lot of troubling news coming and, you know, it's our, it's, it's the fault of the culture directly, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, so you had, you had actually had like a lunch with Peterson, right? Fairly yeah. recently, Jim, like any, any, any takeaways or any, what were your impressions? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I was sat right next to him uh, at a luncheon. I, I had no idea. I didn't really know much about what was going on with the luncheon, but um, yeah, no, I I found him very eager to talk about everything. Uh, very kind and 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 interested in me, and uh, and uh, he gave a talk on to this small group of Seattleites on the logos. And, uh, you know, he didn't say it, but he, I think he believes that Jesus is the, is the embodiment of the logos and it was the embodiment or is the embodiment of the logos in the world. Um, and so whatever is true, good and beautiful is him. And so all things can be tested as good, true or beautiful based on that. And that was basically his talk. Um, so I, I, I didn't agree. I didn't disagree with anything that he said, but it caused me to start following following him more. Um, and I'm not sure I agree with much of his political points of view. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you're you're not gonna follow like him it. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, I was kind of chagrined by that. I I I just. Wow, the, his whole—he's in love with some people that I find to be really disreputable. Um, so, and it, as a thing for Russia, which is 
Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. I don't agree with that. Anyway, so yeah, you can't, you all your, any hero you have always has something. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So it's true. yeah, I guess we could, uh, we could chat about that, but I don't, I think he's too complex of a character. And, and that's kind of what I felt. I, I loved his wife. His wife was very kind. Uh, and, um, but I, but I also kind of sense that he's troubled in his own way. Um, but you know, whatever. Yeah. People are complex. That's, yeah, that's no, how they are. And, yeah, you know, I, I, people freak out about him on Twitter. Here, here's the thing. If you've, if you've, if you know much about a lot of significant characters, um, we have a much higher resolution picture of people. If we just had his books and his art and his, you know, we, sure. we would know nothing about any of this stuff. And then people just project and fill in with whatever yes. positive or negative they want to. Now it's like, well, so when the dude is, the dude is alone, his snarky comments, he likes to go out and make snarky jokes on Twitter. That's him. I mean, imagine if Martin Luther had Twitter. Oh my God. I was, <laughs> I was imagine what Luther, Luther We already know about the snarky, <laughs> we already know about the snarky comments that he made in letters and pamphlets. Like if he just could <laughs> if he could tweet at 3 a.m. on the toilet, do you know what we would hear? Like you know, <laughs> be crazy. Oh, that's that's a that's an interesting analogy. <laughs> so I I uh I yeah, I think I think yeah, people yeah, worry I, I think worry people worry too much and they should you know, one thing you learn as a pastor is at some point you just got to let people be themselves because that's who they are. And if you're just sitting here whining and, you know, and it's like, why are you spending your time trying to manage someone else's life? Manage your own darn life. Well, also, and uh, the trouble, you know, I, I used to I used to do this way too much. That is idealize somebody um, and then expect them to meet my demands and standards or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just, you begin to, I've, I've come to the point where, no, I just need to get my, my own household put together yeah. um, and not worry about somebody else's. <laughs> so to me, I hey, mean, that's one of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules. And does he have his household together? Who knows? Well. I don't think he would say that either. No. <laughs> uh, you know, I he survived. He survived a lot. Um, I, I, there are people that have their households in considerably worse order than his. That's, no, right. Just from anyway. what I've seen, his his children talk to him. They seem to like him. They seem to respect him. That's not well, a bad sign. With his wife, like, yeah. uh, like she, you know, that's a that's a good uh, from all appearances. Like they, they, like yeah. So yeah, I, he, was, he was yeah. he was exquisitely kind humble and kind to the audience his wife was wonderful it was it was a it was a lovely time i have nothing nothing but good to say about him at Terrific. that point so anyway well there you go okay all right we're gonna end the broadcast so thank you all for joining us and um thank you jim and trip for coming on the channel and um yeah, there's going to be a lot of weird things on the channel next week. So buckle up, boys and girls. I'm <laughs> sure folks will have comments to make. Okay. Take care, you guys. All right.